God, off of the breathing machine, Lord God. Bring health into her body. Lord, bring a creative miracle, Lord God. Put a kidney in her, Lord, and expose, Lord God, and expel, Lord, eradicate cancer out of her body, out of Kenny's body tonight in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you would meet the physical, relational, emotional, financial needs that are in this house tonight. I pray, God, that you would open the windows of heaven and pour your spirit, Lord God, into each one of those circumstances. And in Jesus' name we pray and believe. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you, worship team, tonight. You may be seated. And I hope you have enjoyed this study in Ruth. This will be our last night. We probably could have drug it on for four or five more weeks. There was even more in there, but we're going to try to pack the final in tonight. But as you're turning, uh, you'll turn it a little bit to Ruth 4. Two quick announcements. Men's breakfast is happening Saturday, okay? Rain or shine, we're still going to have breakfast. There's still some things we need to do. Even if it rains, we may not get to the playground equipment, but we do need to set up for Friends Day and a couple other projects. So if you've got a little bit of time after breakfast, please stick around. Uh, bring your tools, socket sets, uh, impact wrenches, so forth. Also, friend day on Sunday. <laughs> Invite a friend, amen, and bring something to eat. We have Cinco de Mayo, and uh, it is uh, Mexican food theme, and we're going to have a great time. So, Father, we just ask once again, let your glory and your grace rest upon us. Lord, as we feast upon your word, we love you and thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing. Amen. Amen. I just want to say, I love that song. What a wonderful, powerful name it is. That is a I think that is like, it's like a modern hymn to me. It is like one of the greatest songs ever written. As we continue tonight in our study of Ruth, as a, that is a side note, I, I found this quote today online. I just loved it. It's going to fit into what we're talking about tonight. If you want to do something that really changes someone's life, the best thing you can do is make the person you're trying <clears throat> excuse me the person you're trying to help a participant in the process if you want to do something that really changes someone's life make the person you're trying to help a participant in the process that is so true and that just stood out to me as we close up this Ruth study things about Ruth you know it's interesting in the book of Ruth the name of God is only invoked one time one time your God shall be my God the name Yahweh, Jehovah, God, Adonai, Lord, is never again invoked. You're like, well, why is it even in the Bible? It's not even about God. Contraire, mon frere. It's entirely about the Lord. It's a book that has to do with God's sovereign ability is on display. His sovereignty is on display all the way through the book. You see, if you want to change someone's life, the best thing you can do for that person is make them a participant in the process. 
How many of you have ever tried to get involved and change someone's life and they did not participate in it? They were elated at your help, but when you started shifting the process to them, you started saying, okay, I've helped you here. Now I want you to be involved as a participant in the process. They weren't as excited about that. But the reality is participation is so essential. And in the book of Ruth, that's what we see instantly is Ruth participated. The emphasis is on participation in this book, not preparation. The emphasis is on participation, not preparation. Now, we've been in ministry a long time, right? We've seen highs and lows. We've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, not the Western. We've seen it. And what we have noticed is there's a lot of people many times, not in this church, of course, who are really fixing to get something done. You know, they're just about almost nearly fixing to get started. Right? I'm fixing to. I'm fitting to. Yeah. Someday. You know, I'm fixing to. I'm, they're always preparing for something great. I mean, if you gave out war, awards for good intention, they would have a trophy case. We're talking about Ruth was a participant. We don't see her preparing at all. You're like, was pre preparation wrong? No, 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 preparation is good. But I find most people are prepared in the participation. Because no matter how much preparation you get involved with beforehand, you're likely not going to be ready. You're going to learn in the doing. So participation... The, the doing that led to destiny was her participation. Many people are like, what's my, I just need to know what my destiny is. I just need to know what I'm called to. I just have to know, well, Lord, what am I called to? I'm just going to sit here and go, just waiting on my call. Oh, I don't feel led. Like, I know you missed my stool. What are you waiting on? My call. I'm just listening to the Lord. That's well and good. That's good. But I find that most people who are fixing to, who are listening to the Lord, who are just getting ready just about almost to make, just I'm that close to doing something big. Usually... Never actually get around to it. I'm more of a go-do plan. You know, go-do plan. You're like, that doesn't work. It's worked for us for 30 years. Fixing to someday doesn't work. Opportunity needs participation. What's my destiny? I don't know what your destiny is, but most likely you'll find it in the doing. 
I, you know what? And you might start doing something, and it might be two or three doors down the road from what you start doing as to what the Lord actually wants to get you to. Way leads on to way. And this is what I see so often in the body of Christ is people just get paralyzed in fixing to. They don't actually get in as a participant. They're just preparing perpetually. Just preparing perpetually. Ruth jumped in. She participated. Start right where you're at. You know, I've always heard it said that you should dress for the job you want, not for the one you've got. I've always lived by that. I worked in a plumbing shop. I show up wearing slacks and heels. They're like, man, you look nice. Everybody else is, they work in a plumbing shop. I'm like, I dress for the job I want, not for the one I've got. I'm trying to elevate this place. You know, when I was a teenager, my family had a friend, and she told her husband, she said, if you would build me a new house, a bigger house, then I would keep it clean. I'm just here to tell you she was filthy. Before that, she was filthy. I was a teenager. She was filthy. It was just dirty. I mean, just not clut dirty. It just needed a good, just a bulldozer. It's all it needed. That's only cleaning. That's the service it needed. And so she said, if you would build me a bigger house, then I would keep it clean. And I'm a teenager. You know what I thought? No, you won't. But her husband did. Built her a, from the ground up, built her this big, beautiful two-story house. Soon as she moved in, it was clean for about, I don't know, 24 hours. And then I, we go over there. And that house was just a bigger version of what she had moved out of. She's fixing to. You've got to start right where you're at. Opportunity needs participation. The next thing I see in Ruth is that ordinary action led to extraordinary results. It was just ordinary action that brought extraordinary redemption. There's no miracles. There's no warfare. There's no angels. I love the book. There's not one miracle. Not one. God didn't show up. No water coming out of a rock. No manna raining down from heaven. Nothing. Just one woman making one decision to participate right where she's at. Not participating in where she hopes to be, right where she's at. Ordinary action brought extraordinary results. No miracles, nothing. I read a commentary one time on Ruth and it said, <clears throat> The Lord provided for Ruth by Boaz's generosity and her hard work. The Lord provided for Ruth by Boaz's generosity and her hard work. I love that. The third thing I see in Ruth is the issue of interest and ethic arises in Ruth. Now, what do I mean? Interest and ethic. Why did she do what she did? Was it self-interest or heart ethic? Oh, y'all just think about this. She's on the road out of Moab. 
Self-interest. Absolutely not. No, she had no prospects. Naomi was a dead womb. She was a widow. Naomi was a widow. There was absolutely, in that society, there's nobody going to give her mailbox money. There's nobody going to do anything. She's in the lowest rung of society. Ruth is young and beautiful, we think. We might as well call her beautiful. She had, she's leaving everything she's known. Zero interest. Zero. There's no reason for her to do what she did. It was pure ethic. See, most people will make a decision where their interest and their ethics align. You know, if it's good for you and it's good for me, it's good. Few people will make a decision solely for the good of another. I have a scripture on that. Romans 5, 7 through 8. For scarcely where a righteous man die for one. Yet perhaps a good man, for a good man, someone would even dare to die. You see, clearly it was Ruth's ethic alone because there was no perceivable interest in what she did. Most people, they would never, ever, ever do that because there would be no clear path for their own self-interest. And with no clear path for their own self-interest, there would be no reason to choose just on the basis of a hard ethic. Did I mention God's name's not even mentioned? But one time. But yet God's jumping off all over the place. We're like, what's going on here? Why would this woman, her heart, her ethic, she chose to value another above herself. What? Isn't that a scripture? Let each esteem, can you finish it? Let each esteem others as better than yourself. It sounds like to me the New Testament ethic is you are to be more interested in others than yourself. Who does that nowadays? You see? See, we, we have to look at this and we see that all of a sudden Ruth starts coming forward. One of the most stunning statements in the Word of God to me is God's statement to Abraham. And here it is. Now I know that I can bless you. Because you didn't withhold your only son from me, now I know. What's he saying? Now I know what your ethic is, not just your interest. Now I know. You see, how didn't God know before? He's sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. Did he know before? You think he's a liar in his word? Did he know before? You only think about that a little bit. Now I know. You know, we like to plug in that little sovereignty bit there. Now I know. 
Does God know every decision you're going to make? Does he know, does he ever lead you to a test? Now I know. That stumps me a little bit. I don't think it's as cut and dried as y'all do. I, I struggle there. Do you struggle a little bit, Mike? I str what do you struggle with? Do you struggle with <clears throat> the fact that somehow the Lord didn't truly know what he already knew until the circumstance came along so he could know what he knew? Because until he saw Abraham in that circumstance, he didn't know what he knew. Or did he know it? When did he know it? Did he knew it or know it? I don't know. But do you see what I do you see the complexity of sovereignty working with humanity? It's not that cut and dried for you, Ray. It's not that cut and dried for you. He's always moving you along and bringing you choices. He's always building the roads of participation for you and leaving you room to surprise him. I love it. I love how he interacts with us. He made us human choosers with free will, and he engages with us. And we can't just fall back like a feather without any type of moorings into some idea of sovereignty that's not true at all because God is sovereign, but he works within the, the constructs of free will beings. And had Abraham failed? We might not know his name. It'd have been Jim Bob. You're gonna be leave Tennessee. And I, don't. I mean, do you ever think about that? How many people's names are not written in the canon? How many other women left Moab with daughters-in-laws? How many other? See, we don't think along those lines because we're so linear in our thinking. We think God's got it all mapped out, and we're just sort of robots on the journey. We're not. He interacts with us. And here's what I love, and I'm going to turn it to you, and I'm going to sit down. Here's the power of Ruth. Y'all listening to me? This is about the grace of God being on display through the covenant provisions given to Israel by Moses. God made provision for the foreigner and the poor in the law. This is about an outsider being swept up in the grace of God as she steps across the line of covenant. Here's what I mean. God saw Ruth, sure, but God saw you, and you, and you, and me, and he saw Orpah, and he saw Naomi, and he saw all kinds of people, and God, with his heart, because he wants to bless humanity, he wants to bless you, Tommy, and he wants to bless you, and he wants to bless me, and he wants you to be blessed, and so what he did is he wanted participation from you. Not just a wind-up doll that he could put wherever he wanted them. He wants participation. So how did he provide for Ruth? 
How did he provide for Ruth? Don't just get caught up in the story and not step way outside of it and see the mighty, sovereign, magnificent hand of God at work. He appeared to Moses on a mountain and he gave him a Torah and he included in that Torah the foreigner and the widow and the, and the gleaning process. He included it all in there before Ruth was ever a speck in her daddy's eye. He built the system of blessing. And he built on-ramps of participation. I piped. I danced. I sang a dirge and you wouldn't mourn. I piped and you wouldn't dance. Come. I've built the parameters of blessing for you. Will you participate? Come, come. I've got the field, the gleaning is already prepared. I've got provision for you already. You just have to participate. I've already got a redeemer plan, but you gotta come. I believe on that day of judgment. The tears will be about all the opportunities to participate with covenant. All the places we could have got swept up in provision. No, it doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. It doesn't serve my interest. And my ethic follows my interest. So I'll just sit back over here in my plight. Play it safe. See how it all turns out before I decide to participate. You know God knows it all anyway. He knows what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. And God is just waiting for somebody, for somebody who will participate in covenant, for somebody who will get swept up in a redemption they can't even imagine, in a redemption, in a rescue, in a blessing, in a protection, in a provision, in a legacy, in a destiny that they've never dreamed of. But it takes a person who will participate regardless of their self-interest, and they will choose based solely on the ethic of what is right and what honors God, not what benefits me. Where are the roosts today? Just show me the road to covenant. I'll step over the threshold. And God, the bridegroom, rushes in with redemption. Even the parable of the widow and the unjust judge, Jesus told, she knocked on the unjust judge's door because she knew that her 
answer lied behind that door. She didn't gripe about his injustice. She said, this is the system I've got. Regardless of how broke a system it is, I will keep knocking on this door until somebody answers, go away, nothing for you. Go away, nothing for you. Go away, nothing for you. She's wearing me out. I wish, I wish that we could find people in the house of God who would participate with a covenant that's not ruled by an unjust judge, but who seeks to give good blessing to his children. But he won't drag you in kicking and screaming against your will. He just wants one person, one person to do something that resembles faith and get swept up in redemption. I want to look at Ruth, the fourth chapter. Now, I hope you've been reading Ruth along the way. But the story we began with is not the story we ended up with. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate, and he sat down there. I want to look at, just in the short time we have left, what it looks like to be swept up in redemption. What does it look like to be swept up in redemption? The girl that we saw following Naomi into Israel is not the same woman we see walking out as now the blessed mother in Israel. But it had to begin somewhere. There's been a lot of journeys started that didn't reach that blessed individual at the end. But you have to start here. It was a death do us part vow. I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to sleep where you sleep. I'm going to live where you live. I'm going to do what you do. And your God's going to be my God. And death and only death will be the parting of our ways. We have to begin there, children of God. There's no marriage that will survive without that vow. There's no relationship that will survive without that vow. Till death do us part. And if you're going to be in a relationship with the living God, it's going to be till death do you part, and you're not going to part. You're just going to part this world, and you're going to become a part of the eternal world. Amen? But see, so often we get hung up and tripped up on where we start. But see, she didn't stop there. She began to participate. She began to see the redemptive plan of faith and to live in the unseen realm that God desires for us to live. We must participate. I'm going to rain manna down from heaven. It's going to be bread that comes. And they called it manna. What is this? It is bread from, Hannah, from heaven. And so they go out. But they had to get up and go participate. They had to gather it and bring it in and work it and make it into bread. There is a participation. If the disciples would not have come to the Lord and brought what they had, that multitude would have gone away hungry. But see, they participated. They brought what they had into the, into the equation. 
we have a wonderful, beautiful story. It is a rags to riches, triumph to, from tragedy to triumph, from, from a beautiful fairy tale type ending. But it began with that death to your part. What does it look like? What does it look like to be swept up in redemption? To be carried away in redemption? And how does redemption affect us? Because she had to live beyond chapter 4. That was just her journey to redemption. But there's just one verse that I want to, portion of a verse. Now, if you've read Ruth, you see that they, they have the start. And then we see that at the end, they show up there in Israel at the time of harvest. The next chapter, she's in the field. Naomi, who represents Israel in this redemptive story, she represents Israel. See, she is leading Ruth in the, in the plan of, of Torah, that's showing her where provision comes from. Showing her the laws of gleaning. That you can glean the corners of the field and you can pick up whatever is dropped by the reapers. And this is the law of gleaning that God has already provided. And in so doing, she also teaches her the laws of redemption. And so here is Ruth, and we see that in in, in chapter 1, it's the start. In chapter 2, she's in the field. In chapter 3, it is the proposal. Will you become my redeemer? Will you redeem me? More importantly, to the point, will you redeem Naomi? See, Israel, the Torah, Moses, the law, is always leading to the redeemer. It's always leading to the Redeemer. And then we show up in chapter 4. Take time to read chapter 4. It is just woven with such rich revelation of God's grace in our life. Here, Moaz, Boaz goes to the gate and he sits down. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. He calls forth ten of the elders. says, Come. Naomi has a portion of land. Will you, as the near kinsman, will you redeem this land? Will you buy it back? Will you buy it on her behalf? And oh, the near kinsman says, yes, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. Oh, and by the way, you get a Moabite wife to go along with that. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is going to jeopardize my inheritance. I can't be doing this. See, because they were obligated to raise up seed. And the nearer kinsman, he said, I can't raise the seed. I can't do it. I'll jeopardize myself. And if you don't know this, as we're looking at this passage of Scripture in light of redemption, what we understand is that the nearer kinsman was the law. And the law cannot redeem you. The law cannot uh, cause any offspring to come forth. It's not in self-effort that you will accomplish the things in the kingdom of God. But what I want you to note here is this. Boaz, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and he sat down there. Boaz, the Redeemer, went to the gate and he sat down. The Redeemer sat down at the gate. Where did Jesus sit down? The right hand of the Father, the Redeemer. 
But where do we need the Redeemer to set down in our life to live the life of redemption? We need him to set at the gate. See, the gate was a very important strategic place of every city. In fact, the city was only as strong as its gate. At the city gate is where the commerce took place, where the tradesmen would set up their wares, and they would buy and they would sell at the gate of the city. At the gate of the city is where they had either access, whatever was coming in came through the gate, and whatever was going out came through the, went through the gate. It was the access and the exit point of the city. What we also see is that the governance took place at the city gate. It's where the, he would gather the elders as witness of any verbal contract, any redemptive contract, anything that took place, the governance took place at the gate. So where, might I ask again, do we need to position the Redeemer? We need to position the Redeemer at the gate. <laughs> Now we see in the word of God how that Jacob slept and he had a dream and there was a ladder extended up into heaven and the angels ascended and descended upon that ladder. And on the ascension and descension of that ladder that we know is Jesus, he awakes in the morning and in awaking in the morning he discovers that there at the, he wakes up and he says, this is Bethel. This is the house of God. This is none other than what? The gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. Answer that, babe. The gate of heaven. My kids are calling. We answer when the kids call, okay? <laughs> Bad storm down at that area. We'll make sure. So we have here Bethel. Bethel is what? The house of God? It's the gate of heaven. It is the access point. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Know you not that you, you are Bethel. So where is the gate of heaven? Right here. Oh, yeah. where's, the, where's the access to heaven take place? To heaven and through, through us. It exits through us. We're the gate of heaven. Where does the governance take place on earth for heaven? Right here. Right here. It's, we are the gate. We, do, do you see it? We're the gate. of Where does a redeemer need to rest? Where does he need to be seated in your life? He needs to be seated. What does it look like to be swept up? Swept up in redemption. We've got to have the redeemer sitting at the gate. Now, as you look at the word of God, what you also discover is that whenever Jesus asked his disciples, as he is getting ready to depart the earth, he asked his disciples a simple question. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a good guy. But who do you say that I am? He said, we believe that you are the Christ. You are the living God. You are the redeemer of all mankind. You are the one. He said, upon this rock I shall build my church and the gates... The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Okay. I got the thumbs up. I can keep going. So, I submit to you this. If the heart of man 
can be the access point of heaven to earth, then I submit to you that the heart of man can also be the access point of hell to earth. Because there may be some dark shadows in rooms and there may be some extraterrestrial activity that may take place in a person's life, but all of the destruction in the world today has come about as a result of man turning to evil. But I submit to you that in order for good to happen in the world, in heaven to have access, there must be an entrance, and that entrance is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you do notice there that we talked about the commerce that takes place. See, the enemy is always trying to sell his wares. Where does he come to? He comes to your mind, tries to enter into your heart. He tries to persuade you that you are not who God says that you are. See, because the Redeemer, when he comes, uh, he has bought our slavery back before the end of the age. <laughs> in fact, you see in the Word of God how that when Jesus was sold, he was sold for a price. His own disciple, Judas, whom he chose, who was a traitor, who was uh, betrayed him, they went and bought, he, he betrayed him for the price of 30 pieces of silver, which is a price of a slave. But see, the Redeemer, see, Jesus, that is emblematic of the fact that Jesus has purchased our slavery. What does it mean to be swept up in redemption? It means that Boaz, my Boaz, your Boaz, Jesus, uh, he comes and he sits down at the governance of my life. And when the enemy is there trying to sell his wares, uh, telling me that I'm a slave, I say, wait a minute, uh, that price has already been paid. I've got to look at the deed of my heart. It's already sealed and the Holy Spirit declares it. So, see, Ruth had to live beyond chapter 4. She's got to raise this boy, Obed, who means servant of God. This, this boy is going to rise up because now she's a mother, not of Moab. Whew. She's a mother in Israel. Her life has been eternally changed because she was, she was swept up in redemption, but in the sweeping up in redemption, she was participating. She was out there doing the back-breaking labor, pulling those weeds up, weeds, pulling that wheat up and that barley up off of the ground, kneading it out and preparing a meal for Naomi. And Boaz, the Redeemer... said, I heard about you. And he prayed for her that the, that the wing of God would just cover her. Not even knowing how prophetic that prayer was. She comes and makes a proposal. He's like, ooh, ooh, yeah, I'll take you. You're mine. You could have done a lot of other things and you could have gone a lot of other places, but you chose not to. You made a death to thou part and you participated in the field. Now it's time of harvest and you're not even asking for your own behalf. You're asking on behalf of Naomi. So yes, I want you. See, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth. Seeking 
looking in the fields. Oh, I heard their vow on that Sunday morning. They said death to, the, to us part, but I'm going to look in that. Let me get in that field and let me see. Are they... Are they out there working? Are they participating? Are they, are, are they, are they exercising in this, in this field of labor? Because I just want, I just want that, not just that proposal to come from them. I, I want to take them under my wing. I want to become their redeemer so that I can sit at their gate, so I can uh, become their provider and their protector. <laughs> you, what is God looking? He's looking to strongly support you. He wants to strongly support you and say to you, I will be your provider and your protector because that's what the redeemer does and when the enemy tries to come along and say Tommy you're unprotected you say oh no I'm not because there's someone called the redeemer and he's sitting at my gate and I'm doing things according to his will so we see here as they're sitting at the gate Harris see the the redeemer he not only buys back from slavery, those 30 pieces of silver that Jesus was sold for, bought, was represented him buying our slavery. But we know that the purchase price was much more than 30 pieces. It was his blood that was shed. His perfect sacrifice being the innocent sacrifice and the perfect sacrifice has redeemed us from slavery why do we want to diminish the redemption by listening to the enemy trying to get acts trying to give hell access through us The wicked, crooked thoughts of the enemy try to tell you that you're not. that. See, because when you stop believing you're a slave, you stop acting like a slave. When you stop believing that you're an addict, then you start living like you're not an addict. <laughs> When you, when you stop living like uh, you're, uh, you're, you're bound to your emotions and you blow up because, uh, because that's what you just got to do, it's in your personality, then all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, God has given me the, uh, the, a fruit that causes me to allow the, an allowance to help me to control myself. So you see here, see, and they took that 30 pieces of silver, oh, they got all righteous in that moment. This is blood money. We can't take this into the treasury. What are we going to do with it? Well, let's go out there and buy the potter's field, and let's just make, let's just bury indigents, people that can't bury themselves. We'll just this little plot of land. We'll just bury them. And see, when Jesus Christ came, the his blood, it was emblematic once again that he purchased our promises and our tragedy and our. All of those things. And still that graveyard is there today because I just saw it a few weeks ago. Because you look down in that valley, that kindred valley between the Mount and, Mount, uh, uh, and, the, and the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. There's nothing, but, there's nothing but graves up and down. But see, God purchased us back. The promises that belong, that he wants to give us. We say it belongs to us, but truth is we only have it because we're in relationship with him. You don't have anything if you're not in relationship with him. 
You live a tragic life uh, filled with self-hatred uh, and self-doubt and destruction, uh, and you're not living in the promises of God. Uh, but see, Ruth uh, was swept up in redemption. And what does it mean to be swept up in redemption? Uh, now, all of a sudden, uh, you've got an advocate uh, and you've got an avenger. <laughs> he was the original avenger. <laughs> there wasn't uh, an avenger before him. He was the original avenger. And when humanity was slain in the garden, he said, Father, I will go and I will redeem them. I will bring them. I will pay the price necessary to bring them back to myself. But see, I'm sure that there was some pious, narrow-minded bigots in the town that 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 Ruth lived oh look at her old money grubber grabbed her and old man look at her she's got Boaz she ain't going in the field no more she's sitting at the house look at her who does she think she is I'm sure there's I'm just speculating because I know human nature but even if people didn't say it there could have been a generation of thoughts generated in her own mind with the enemy trying to torture and torment. See, you're not going to, you're not going to, if you're going the same way as the devil's going, you don't have any problems because it's, it's in the flow. It's when you turn around and you go the other way where you start getting the resistance. And the reason why the kingdom of God many times is difficult to build is because we're not just fighting the natural elements, we're fighting against spiritual elements. And we're trying to reach the lost. And we're trying to convince people that you're not who the devil says you are. And you're not who society says you are. You're not who your experiences say you are. you are. You are who God says you are. And the challenge is, is getting them to believe that they believe that God, what God says about them. And not what, they, not what they think about themselves or what others say about them. So you got to have... Ruth had to face the challenges of an everyday life. She had to remind herself that she was now a mother, not a Moab, but a mother in Israel, and she would carry on the blessing. And I love the Word of God because they spoke over her and said, Why pray that the Lord would bless you like the Lord blessed Tamar? You know the story of Tamar? If you don't, you need to go find out. But see, the redemptive plan starts with, as they give the lineage, they start with, not with Abraham, not with Isaac, not, they start with Perez, which is Tamar. And then they go down, you find a man in there by the name of Salmon. Salmon was Rahab's husband. Anybody know who Rahab is? She was a foreigner. <laughs> who put down the scarlet thread and let the spies come out. And Salmon was one of those spies, and he was struck by her, and he ended up marrying her. So, man, if I get a woman like this that protect me, I'm going to keep her from now on. Amen? 
So she's in the lineage, and we carry on, and we find out the blessing will not just rest upon her, but it's going to continue on through the lineage, and there's going to be a little boy named David sitting out in a field killing giants and bears, and it's going to be anointed of the Lord to become the king of Israel that every other king, where did he come from? He came from a Ruth, and I want you to know it is my heart's desire that I not only be swept up in redemption, but oh my God. God, let the generations that follow, let them be swept up in redemption and let the line carry on and on and on and on until the Lord returns. But see, it's not going to happen. See, the participation didn't stop in chapter 4. It was punctuated. Because just like she participated in the field, She's got to keep the Redeemer at rest at her gate. Do you see that? Do you see that? When the Redeemer's at rest at our gate, he brings the advocacy. He avenges. When there's an accusation, see, part of the work of the Redeemer, if there's an accusation come against the one he's redeemed, He's responsible. Shut your mouth. You say one word, more word about her, and we're going out back. But see, when Jesus came, he didn't go out back. He went up, and he hung upon the cross. They didn't understand. They jeered at him spitted him, mocked him. But the centurion looked and said, when he died, the way that he died, the centurion said, this has to be God. To bring a revelation, even in his death, the way he died, not, this centurion had killed many a man, I'm guessing, He'd been in battle. He wasn't a centurion by some mail order. Hey, I'm going to give you this. I mean, Rome was the ruling empire of the world. They didn't get that by just patty caking around. There was blood and tears and sweat. So he watched a lot of people die. But in Christ's death, he said, he is the Messiah. He is God. See, when the enemy came after humanity, he had no idea what that skull-crushing stomp was going to be on his head. Because what he did not anticipate is that death could not hold the Redeemer. So they put him in the ground for three days, and the ground couldn't hold him. And he walked out. If we are part of the living, why do we live like we're dead? Let's let the Redeemer sit at our gate, the throne room of our heart, and let's let him govern our thoughts, our actions. 
our future, and the blessed hope that generations will come in to know him. What a beautiful story. But if you miss the part about redemption, you miss the story of Ruth. It is a beautiful portrait of Israel bringing the Gentile nations to the feet of the Redeemer and them asking, will you cover me? And him saying, I certainly will cover you. And now we, and we just, and he, and we just hand it on. We hand it back to Naomi. We take the promised child, and we and and it's the church. Uh, let me tell you, nations that rise up against Israel, you better watch out because uh, there's going to come a day uh, where the Redeemer is going to come back, uh, and, and and he's not he came as the as the suffering Savior, but he's coming back as a conquering King. Uh, he came as the Lamb, but he's coming back as the Lion, uh, and you don't want to be raising your hand uh, or fist against his people. We need to pray. America always supports uh, Israel. Israel in whatever situation they're in because they are those of you who may not know Jesus is Jew all right this is not a Western religion that started out we started out from Israel and we have been brought in to covenant with the Redeemer I want you to stand if you will tonight I'm going to ask you, I want to ask you tonight as you bow your heads. I'm going to encourage you to do this. I can't do it for you. No one else can do it for you. It's got to be the same invitation that Ruth gave to Boaz. You give to the Lord. To say, will you cover me? And the Lord would say to you, yes, I will cover you. And he would also say to you, will you allow me to sit at your gate? Would you ask him right now to take his rightful place and take a seat at your gate so that you can allow his kingdom to come forth through you and for you to be brave enough to stop living like the dead and stop living like you're a slave to your emotions to your past to your shame and just say Lord you govern me you guide me so I feel the liberating presence of the Lord tonight just Father, we come before you and surrender. And Lord, we invite you, Lord God. Lord, we invite you, Lord God. Come and take rest at our gate. Come 
as Boaz sat, Lord God, and he, Lord God, offered the advocacy, Lord God, on behalf of Ruth and Naomi. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord God, that you would come and you would just find rest, O oh Lord God, at the gate of my heart. Guide us, lead us, direct us, Lord God. Lord, you have brought us out of slavery. You have bought back our land. Lord God, you have given us, Lord God, all that, Lord God, you desire to gift us. And Lord, we don't want it, Lord God, if we can't have you. Lord, if we cannot be in a relationship, what good is the goodness of God? Lord, what good is the mercy of God? What good is the redemption, Lord, if we cannot have the Redeemer, Lord God? Lord, we want the relationship. Lord God, we don't want, Lord God, the sheaves. Lord, if we cannot have the Redeemer. Lord, I'm asking tonight, Lord God, that you would take up residence in this church and in our hearts. And that, Lord, we would not entertain the thoughts of slavery anymore. That we would not give ourselves, Lord, to feed at the pig pens. Lord God, that we would come to you, Lord God, and, Lord, surrender ourselves entirely to you. And, Father, we pray, just as Ruth lived out. Lord, we saw four chapters, and that's all we saw. We saw two harvest seasons, Lord God, that she endured. But, Lord, we know that she continued on. Because we see David, and Lord, we see you. Thank you. Thank you for her witness. Let us carry on this witness by being the redeemed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bid a fair farewell to our friends on Facebook. Uh,